This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey friends, welcome back to Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. Really happy to have you back this week, and if you are new to Eco Chic, I'm really happy that you're here with us. My name is Laura Diaz, and I am a graduate student studying climate science. I'm actually going to be graduating with my master's in a couple weeks, and I'm pretty excited about that. This podcast is a fun place to share things like general climate change education or personal sustainability efforts, things that are not necessarily common knowledge, but totally should be. Every week, we're coming at you with information about climate change and just how to be a more responsible citizen of the planet. I'm really excited this week on EcoChic to be coming at you with a conversation between myself and Nicole Walker. Nicole is the author of Sustainability, A Love Story. In Sustainability, A Love Story, Nicole questions what it means to live sustainably while also still having things like internet access and eating bacon. She talks about the catch-22s of life when you want to live sustainably but also want to go to Costco. Nicole is a really funny author and honestly a great person to sit down and chat with. I'm so glad that I got to meet her. Nicole actually teaches at Northern Arizona University where I am getting my degree and she is also the author of six additional books. She is a recipient of the National Endowment for the Arts, a notable essay in Best American 2008, 2014, 2015, 2016, and nonfiction winner of the Best of the Net 2013 and 2014. She's a really, really great person, and I think that she brings a lot of interesting insight to the conversation of sustainability, because I feel like she comes from a really honest angle. Most of us are not living this totally zero-waste lifestyle, this totally vegan lifestyle, where we're doing as much as we can to put as little impact on the planet as we can, but we're also just trying to be as conscious as possible. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear Nicole's take just on the subject of sustainability as a whole, what it means to her and what we should all be doing. And she brings up the idea of a personal cap and trade program, which I really, really like. If you've been listening to EcoChic for a little while, I'm always a really big advocate for just doing what works for you. You don't have to always accomplish all of the tasks on your list to be a sustainable person. So it's just really awesome to see someone else advocating for it from a different angle than my own. And with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nicole Walker. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to EcoChic. I'm so excited to just like be hanging out with you today and finally get to meet you in person. Hi, Laura. It's so great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Um, so before we get started, I was hoping that you could introduce yourself to the audience and introduce your new book, Sustainability, A Love Story. Sure. Uh, my name is Nicole Walker, and I teach at Northern Arizona University. I'm a professor there, and um, this is my latest. My latest book is Sustainability: A Love Story, and the idea behind the book is uh, how are we going to get it to save the planet, get it together to save the planet? If since we have such a hard time getting it together to save ourselves, to save our marriages, to save our kids, to get even you know the the smallest like grocery groceries bought seems like an ordeal some days, and I feel like there's a connection between that that. Um, desperate, um, feeling like we cannot do anything to save the planet, that corresponds in a lot of ways to that desperate feeling that we will cannot get it all done. And so I write this from this point of view of, you know, a, a white middle class woman who's dealing with the, the, the daily 
issues that come up, trying to think more globally about what the effects uh, of our individual choices have. I'm really glad that you bring up the idea of us also being worried about like this rat race of like taking care of your kids and buying groceries and whatever it is. And I think for that reason, sustainability feels like a huge task for a lot of people. It's just intimidating to think about climate change and to think about like, um, it's just so easy to feel guilty for getting a reusable bag at the grocery store or whatever it might be. So I think that just drawing that parallel between being worried about the planet, but also just being worried about your entire life in um, a developed country like the U.S. is just so easy to it's just easy to like fall behind on it. You know what I mean? It's totally true. And you feel like we come from this environment where we are meant to feel guilty about everything. You know, it's a Protestant work ethic. It's, you know, Catholicism. It's, it's Jewish guilt. You know, it's all of this guilt that I think pervades our moral culture that, you know, is, is the thing that I guess in some ways drives us. Right. But on the other hand, when you keep adding more and more things to feel guilty about, you know, driving your car to the grocery store or, you know, forgetting your reusable bags or, or um, going um, accidentally, oh my gosh, by, you know, a single-use plastic um, cup at Starbucks. You know, it's, I, I can't keep up. But on the other hand, I feel like there are ways to assuage that guilt or to maybe make some headway by paying attention to those little things. So I wonder if, if thinking different, differently about uh, our relationship to to those small things as opposed to feeling guilt to have it either be part of our habits so it's not you don't have to feel guilty or you reward yourself when you do a good job of you know bringing your recycled bags and your uh your i mean reusable bags and your uh reusable cup to starbucks i think that's a really good the idea of rewarding yourself is a really good um kind of acknowledgement i guess would be the word because i also was recently reading something about the term I want to say what's called ethical narcissism is what this research paper called it. And like when you do something good, you feel like you have to tell the world that you remembered your reusable bag or you have this metal straw or whatever it might be. And you feel like you have to kind of like show off that you're being a good person. And why is it that we feel that way? Why is it that we feel like um, because I'm not conforming to this idea of like single use plastics, like you said, that you're somehow like a better human and a better environmentalist or whatever it might be. And I was hoping that, like, on that subject, we could kind of talk about these, like, catch-22 um, things that we don't necessarily always think about. Like, I really liked the idea of coffee that you brought up in the book or air travel or whatever it might be. Um, like, what are some really easy things that we kind of gloss over in our society when it comes to sustainability? Do you know what I've been thinking a lot about um, a lot along these lines of, of you know, the littlest things that we do, like people idle their cars. I have this whole chapter in here. Uh, it's called Judgy McJudgerson. And it's about, I, I walk by these people and they're driving this gigantic Cadillac Escalade and it's just sitting in the parking lot. And I keep walking by them and I do this weird, like, turning with my hands to signal, turn off your car, turn off your car. And obviously I look like an insane person. Um, and I'm, I feel like that this is such a small thing, right? Just yeah. don't idle your car. What a, what an easy switch that is. Um, but I, you know what I've been thinking a lot about in terms of what we can sort of do is I think our own individual level cap and trade program. So, uh, so and I've been, I've been thinking, you know, maybe the thing, some people are never going to get up, give up eating red meat, right? They're going to be like, I it's all I like. I'm going to have it three times a week. That's going to be my thing, right? Most people, I think, have moved. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people invested in sustainability are definitely moving away from red meat and other meat 
products um, and other animal products. But say you're just that person's like, I love steak so much, I cannot do it. That then you, you could choose something else. Like you were saying, uh, you, you had another uh, podcast about about clothes, right? Mm-hmm. So what if you say, okay, that's fine, but I'm never, I'm only going to shop at thrift stores. So you trade one of the things that you really love that you know is sustainably not um, is not a great idea. But you, you're like, okay, I'm going to hold on to this one, but I'm going to give up clothes. Or I really, really want to let drive my truck, but I'm going to set up this whole rain catchment system on my house or install solar panels. So we recognize and I think this goes back to that idea of, of feeling guilty and you know that ethical narcissism or virtue signaling where you where, where you're t- no longer caught up sort of in this paradigm of everybody look at me I'm so good but it's in this internal recognition that says look these are the things that I feel I can contribute to sustainability and I think the word contributes really important too because I think people hate giving things up this is our whole notion along with guilt <laughs> our whole notion is accumulation as a culture right like get the most stuff you can get the biggest house get the biggest car get the greenest grass and that's I think a really hard thing to push against and if you if we can find a way to instead say no to everything but to say yes to some things in, in that way of contributing like I'm going to contribute to sustainability I'm can, can contribute to um, cutting carbon emissions by buying, you know, a really efficient electric car, or I'm going to invest in solar panels. And that's my contribution. And so when I take a deduction, like, you know, use um, plastic straws, because I love yeah. them, so I don't know, I don't have plastic straws, but some people love them, that you're saying, I've already made my contribution, I don't have to feel like crap, nor do I have to tell the whole world, oh, look how fancy I am, I'm so good, because you're not purely good, right? You're mm-hmm. a little bit of, of everything. And I think if people could make those sort of choices for themselves, they wouldn't feel this pressure and this fear. And I think what happens when they feel pressure and fear and guilt is they end up doing nothing. Right. No, absolutely. And I'm totally going to use that term of an individual cap and trade program because I think that's such a good way to look at it. I always like to tell people, like, just do what works for you. And maybe you're really, really interested, again, in plastic straws. But if you bring your bag or whatever, like, feel like you're doing your part and contributing and whatever it might be. And by the same token, I feel like um, what you said about, you know, I have this car that's idling, but I'm doing this rain barrel system or whatever it might be. Um, I think that's also a really good way to look at it because there are a lot of like bigger scale issues in our world that are not single use plastics or, you know, just take a shorter shower. Like there are bigger problems that are not take a shorter shower. Um, So I was hoping that we could kind of talk about maybe like some current events that you've, current events might not be the word, but like some trends that are in the forefront right now so like the plastic straw situation or if there's anything that you see people like really investing themselves in that are not really like as big of a problem as they feel yeah i think so i think so like the 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 idea of plastic straws for example which is it's i think there's this is what i would call and um timothy morton calls this this connection to the object versus the hyper object so we can take this one idea, which is a plastic straw, which we can all grasp and see and touch and feel and we understand. So that's why you can, I think everybody can, you know, clamber on and start talking about plastic straws because 
to imagine the, the plastic ocean, you know, the big mm-hmm. garbage patch the size of Texas in the middle of the ocean is actually too hard to visualize. We can't see it. We can't get to it. We can't touch it. So instead we use these symbolic features like plastic straws and then everybody gets all up in arms about now it's not fair to people who, you know, can't use um, utensils and, are, are, you know, people who have disabilities that don't allow them to, to, to chew that they need these straws, you know, and it becomes this we get in these little tiny fights and everybody collapses and nobody talks about straws anymore because everybody's blown up this huge this huge little thing. But I think it's important to to keep in mind those little ideas because it's 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 similar to giving up a little bit so you can make a lot of progress. So if it's giving up a straw isn't the thing you need to do, but it's the straw that you can hang on to to be the symbol of what the thing you need to do is. But what you really need to do is stop using single-use plastics at all. Or even better, you need to invent, you know, better plastic recycling programs in the United States. Um, you know, especially if we, we were so dependent on China for, for mm-hmm. you know, recycling our stuff and we just send it away and and uh, you, you could imagine that it was well taken care of. But just because it's in the middle of the ocean and just because it's somewhere else doesn't mean it doesn't still exist. So I feel like the straw itself, it was just a symbol for this this idea that we need to remember, but we can't just focus on the little tiny part of it, right? It's, you can't just buy a Prius and say, okay, I fixed the planet. But you can remember that, hey, hey, Priuses are cool because they have this ability to remind us all the time of our use uh, of our gasoline usage, of the way that you can invent new systems. What I love most about the Prius is that by braking and stopping, you actually are creating some sort of feedback, right? Positive feedback mm-hmm. for your for your car that actually char- recharges the battery. To me, when you're driving in a regular car and you have to stop, you recognize that you're putting out more emissions, right? You're actually contributing to carbon. So just because the Prius exists makes us more conscious of other cars that we're driving. And just because we're using plastic straws reminds us that, hey, we're also using a plastic cup. And this is also a plastic fork and knife. And this is also, why am I eating this place as so much plastic? Um, And I think those kinds of of uses of those little tiny objects are really important. I think that's a great point. Like, I love the idea of just promoting mindfulness. That's what my argument always is with straws. It's not that straws are our biggest problem, but it just connects you to larger issues. And I think that also on the idea of mindfulness and making sure that you're connected to other people and um, just other parts of the globe, like the idea of China. Like, I would love to go down a dark hole of research on the recycling economy. And once China decides that they're not taking any more plastic, like... How does everyone react? You have to face the fact that it's like now sitting in your country and your landfills and whatever it might be. And um, on that, just on that topic of recycling, like what is your kind of response to the recycling economy? Because I think something that we talk about a lot with sustainability and something that I personally advocate for a lot is the idea of a low impact lifestyle. So um, not producing trash if you don't need to or just being really conscious of your like carbon footprint. Before we started recording, we talked a little bit about the No Impact Man, which is a really great book that um, I will go ahead and like put in the show notes if anyone's interested in looking at it. But um, we were talking about just how ridiculous some of his choices were in just reducing his own footprint on the planet. So I said the example that I always think about is he couldn't ride the elevator because that produced emissions. 
and he worked on the 30-something floor of a skyscraper in New York City. And it was just something really, really ridiculous like that. So kind of promoting the idea of mindfulness without being too extreme. And, well, I'm just thinking, you know, that book was, I think, so compelling. I think the most important book, or part of that book, or the importance of reading it, is is that mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you can imagine this person who goes to the grocery store, and I want to be this person, at least this part of, of him, um, where he takes his jars, and he weighs them, you know, when he gets to Sprouts or wherever he's shopping, and then he goes and fills them up with wheat and, you know, trail mix and granola everything that he wants to 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 eat it's not that he's starving himself but he's not going to use the that plastic right um and the fact that he does this in new york city which in some ways you know it's so much easier to be sustainable in a city because you have so there's this infrastructure that rewards sustainability everything's much closer together you don't have to travel so far unless you have to go up 30 flights of stairs like you said and you know a lot of a, a lot of of um, research has gone into showing that cities themselves produce much less uh, environmental waste than suburbs. And the idea of suburbs, too, I think is part of the difficulty with, or one of the, you know, that sense of accumulation. Let's accumulate more land. Let's keep growing and going and going out and out and out. And we push further into into what we'd call, you know, natural environments. And, um, and then you think, okay, well, that's okay. I can um, obviate my troubles by recycling and my dream is that everybody has to sit with their garbage for just a month like deal with your garbage for a month don't you don't get to recycle you don't nobody comes by and picks it up nobody um gets your glass gets your you know even in Flagstaff we have um people come by and pick up your if once you've bagged your pine needles they'll pick them up and take them to the landfill so just imagine a month where you had to deal with your own garbage completely. I bet you'd eat a lot less meat because you mm-hmm. don't want to eat, eat, deal with bones or leftover over meat, unless you have, I guess, a dog, and then that might get you out of that. Um, you wouldn't want to, you know, you could imagine all the, like, tiny films of plastic that pile up on, t- you know, that cover every little jar that, because thanks to the Tylenol scare of 1989, we all have, like, <laughs> 40 layers of plastic to remove, to, you know, to save ourselves from from you know that, that one time predator um that uh, but i you know I, I sit in the kitchen in my kitchen and just imagine like the yogurt containers as they pile up the foil over here and even i you know who look I try, I try to be as conscientious as possible when i'm shopping but my kids the other day they're like oh mom i need these go-go yogurts you know those ones that are in the tube that little babies like but my oh, kids yeah. who are 13 and 8 are like oh no these are the only applesauces we like and they eat these <laughs> applesauces and there's so much plastic and i'm like oh i gave in and i'm like okay if it's the only thing you really want today right so again it's like giving yourself one of those one one out and you make it up some way but you know making your own granola um but the my you know that sense of like how do you compound mindfulness or how do you how do you think about each uh choice you make is you have to live with your choices and the problem with shipping things to china or shipping things even to the landfill is we're not really living with them and I, i i feel like carbon because it's carbon um emissions and Climate chains are so impossible to see and to touch that we can't we don't can't feel them. But garbage, I feel like, is similar. It's a good metaphor, at least, even if it's not the exact same thing, right? We're putting out this stuff into the world that is going to be toxic if it's not already toxic. And um, and, and if you can remember as you you know accumulate your your plastic uh, cups of your uh, Chobani yogurts that 
that is similar to the stuff that you're putting out from your from your tailpipe and from your exhaust from your natural gas from your, for your heating your house and your electricity that you use in your house yeah I like the idea of having everyone live with their choices and live with their garbage I was in this really cool environmental economics class last semester and spent the whole four months or whatever it was like on this deep dive of how trash is an economic inefficiency. If we start seeing trash as just a resource or just a pull of resources, like the amount of money that we spend just creating more landfills and um, covering up that land and the amount of money we spend on waste management systems and even the recycling economy, like if we can't really do anything with recycled plastics after the second time, are we just feeding into this economy because it makes us feel good? Are we just recycling even though we know most of it is probably going to end up in a landfill at the end of the day. Um, Like, where does that recycling bin go? And just the idea of trash as really like a financial pit. Like, it's just like a money pit, if you think about it. Um, And also on the topic of privilege and trash, um, living zero waste or living low impact is inherently very privileged because you have to be living somewhere where you have access to bulk stores. You have to be mindful enough of your impact that you can, you know, get reusable produce bags or make sure that you're constantly bringing those bags in your car, have a second set, or um, just always having jars on hand, whatever it might be. So even though in the long run, it saves you money to live as package free as possible and, you know, shopping at these bulk stores, things of the sort, it is also a very privileged thing. So it's strange to think about, um, you know, saving money, but you have to have money to save money. Does that make sense? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. it's a very interesting um, kind of like back and forth dynamic. So it I was is, hoping yeah. that we could yeah. kind of talk a little bit about um, some of the realizations that you've had since you've started writing this book um, and just some of the things like in our society that we kind of either gloss over or we have these weird um, parallels with, like I said, with just like saving money, you have to have money, or um, you can't idle your car, but like being mindful about idling your car, you also have to know that like you have a car and you have the education to know about idling and the um, impacts of just like sitting in your car and things of the sort. Absolutely. I mean, so the book, you know, is not is 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 not only about sustainability. It mm-hmm. really is about trying to figure out how to get along mm-hmm. with other people. And there's a particular chapter in there about trying to get along with my husband at Sam's Club. And, you know, I'm from Salt Lake City, and we had Costco's there, but Flagstaff, we were condemned to only have Sam's Club. And my husband and I went shopping one time, and I don't know, I was on some sort of tear about... Paper towels. So he puts like a, a gigantic vat of paper towels in our shopping basket, and they're you know they're not recycled. They're, you know I'm like there's a pure virgin towels, and I get really uptight and self righteous and start like I keep taking them off the cart and he puts them <laughs> back on, and then we're you know now we're just going. It's just like a hot fight, and he's and then I get a bottle of wine and he's like, well how much does you know how much resources did it take to ship that wine from California to Flagstaff and how much you know what resources went into you know burning the sand to make that bottle and how much is it going to take to recycle that bottle? And here we are though, and this I mean I think this relates to both of your questions. One is that, you know, it's this great privilege to be able to fight over these things, that we have the resources to pay for these things, you know, that we get to buy paper towels and wine, you know, it's like, this is, it's on a fundamental level so ridiculous. On the other hand, it does go to show, like, everything, every choice we make is fraught and full of, of, 
emotional difficulty that is not, I think, going to, and this, you know, goes back to something we were talking about earlier, is not going to make it, make the world actually get to that place where we're all going to have to get together and connect and make some radical choices about how to really stop climate change is going to require getting beyond, you know, our husbands or our own picking us about paper towels. I mean, that's easy. Now we have to talk to people who don't even believe that climate change is happening or people who refuse to... um, to stop using fossil fuels or we have to, you know, or to other governments who, you know, whose entire economy, Saudi Arabia and Russia, rest um, on fossil fuels. How are we going to convince them, hey, we should really stop using gasoline? And they'll be like, oh, great. Well, we're the richest country in the world, says Saudi Arabia. Why would we stop that? You know, and this this is where I get hopeless and also hopeful bullish is that that there we do have this ability to communicate and I think in desperate situations come together and I'm afraid that it'll take something pretty desperate to get us to that point where we're like okay we've really got to do something here um but I have a question for you so how much how much do you think technology is going to save us I feel like I have all these friends who went to read college and they're still in Portland and they're doing these great things with recycling. They're turning styrofoam into new fuels, right? Or they're, um, the people are turn- making mushroom, growing mushrooms so as for packaging. So I feel like there's all this cool technology that's, that's out there. Do you think technology is going to be the thing that saves us in the end? So I think that technology has a lot of power right now. We're living in a really great age where things are progressing very quickly when it comes to climate change solutions. And kind of on the topic of technology is the idea of geoengineering. I think the great thing about geoengineering is that it attracts a lot of people to climate change solutions that would not otherwise be big hippie environmentalists. So um, if people aren't familiar with geoengineering, so that's just the idea that we could like throw mirrors into space that's a really hot topic right now for some reason and that will like reflect some of the sun's radiation and we won't receive as much on earth or um, putting iron filings into the ocean to increase the albedo the ref like the reflectiveness of the ocean should in theory also help us combat climate change Um, but the problem with all of these geoengineering solutions is that as soon as you stop the problem comes right back full force whatever it should be at the time if you continue living your life So I think technology is great in that it will actually provide us solutions, um, but not in the shiny way that geoengineering solutions provide us. So I think a place where technology could come in handy is um, increasing the productivity of solar panels, the efficiency of solar panels. So people don't realize that solar panels industrially could be up to, I want to say, 40% efficient in capturing the sun's radiation. But when they're on your house, it's only about 15%. So that's a huge gap in efficiency and productivity of energy that you could be um, getting just straight into your home or providing back to the grid or whatever it might be. So I think technology has a lot to do with efficiency when it comes to climate change solutions, but then also just attracting people to solutions in general for like the shinier Totally. Solutions. That makes sense. Like, because people do like big revolutions, right? They love, I mean, and I can imagine there's this technological revolution that changes. But I think along those lines, it not only has to change the situation, right. it has to change the way we think about the situation. I think you're right that, yeah, there, it's possible, yeah, that the, the mirrors in the ceiling or the, I have a chapter in here about, you know, spraying sulfur dioxide into the into the atmosphere and stratosphere so it can, you know, reflect that light in that same way. 
that it's hard to imagine that the solution to such an endemic problem com- uh, is uh, is in the problem that created it, right? So it's hard to imagine a technological solution coming from a technological, from something that technology brought us to. And I think what you're saying is really smart. Like, it's a matter of efficiency. So this is something, I think, that is much more fundamental to human, um, deep human needs or desires is this ability to do more with what we have around us. And that, to me, is a much more... uh, it's sustainable, if I'm going to use that word, um, sustainable model for how to, instead of just accumulating more stuff, right, you're like, here's the stuff I have. Look at all the stuff I can do with it. Um, in that same sense of, like, I have all these mushrooms. Look, I can I can create new packaging. I, you know, Amazon, listen up, you know. Like, this idea that, that we have stuff around us that is already um, usable and we've already created it. Let's use it again and again and again. That kind of permanent recycling. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if if the if a technological revolution occurs and if that mental because usually it does some, come. You know, I feel like in other scientific revolutions comes along with new ways of thinking and new kinds of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So that would be my dream if we were to use some sort of vast technological ability to to capture carbon, right? Which right. seems like, it, that one at least seems maybe more permanent than than the mirrors or the, you know, the iron filings in the ocean. But even if, even if we come to those solutions that along come this way of like appreciating and understanding the little tiny ways that we can make these adjustments and the ways that the world is so bountiful already that we can use that bounty in a way that is not only consumptive, but also productive. Oh, absolutely. Um, before I go on, another book that you should definitely read if you're interested in like just more of these efficient solutions yeah. is The Quest by Daniel Jurgen. Have oh, you read cool. that? I haven't. No. Yeah, incredible. Um, so his first book was all about oil, like the whole oil industry. And that's something that it's like on my list. I've been meaning to read forever. But The Quest has a chapter on Um, as a whole it just goes through different fuel types and what's coming up and it's broken up in a really easy way that you don't have to like read it as a whole it's a huge book it's like 600 pages or something but um it talks about different fuel types and there's a chapter at the end about efficiency and it's called the chapter title is the fifth fuel and it's efficiency and how we already have all of the solutions and we have so many great technological advancements in the last like hundred years even that we have progressed so much as a society and we feel like we have to continue consuming and continue creating and come up with really radical scientific revolutions when it comes to how are we going to save the planet but people completely forget about efficiency so um, going back to the idea of recycling so the idea of reduce reuse recycle a lot of people don't realize is hierarchy before you recycle you should first think about reducing whatever it is that you're consuming and then after that if you really do have to bring home this plastic yogurt container how can you reuse it so that it's suddenly a tupperware container that you can use to take your lunch to work or whatever it might be so the idea of efficiency is something that i'm really passionate about and i don't think that the idea of sustainability and efficiency are linked often enough um, and before we go on, I just wanted to kind of wrap up a little bit and ask okay. about feedback from yeah. the book. So what have you yeah. kind of oh. heard from people? Um, so the reception's been, I think, generally really positive. It has, you know, I think people feel really hopeless when they think about sustainability. And one 
thing I wanted to do with this book is to in, to invest a little uh, and instill a little bit of humor into it. And so there are funny parts, and and I think that goes along with like that sense of of uh, recognizing that you're kind of being an idiot at Sam's Club, and that recognizing that you're a little bit hypocritical when you're you know yelling about paper towels when you're you know buying like a case of wine, <laughs> no. and you know that you're being uh, you know that that putting yourself sort of on display as well as opposed to preaching to people and telling them this is what you must do to save the planet say look this is what I'm doing and I'm doing kind of badly sometimes I succeed mostly I fail um and allowing um the narrator you know allowing my narrator here to have some humility and be like I'm screwing this up as much as anybody um and I am really trying so um but that that attempt to try I think is as important or maybe uh, you know I guess this is anti-Yoda-like, but I do think trying is its own kind of effort and its own kind of success, and that you make do make little tiny um, adjustments and and successes as as you as you make large failures. And so I feel like people got that part of the book. They really did seem mm-hmm. to think this is not hopeless. It's funny and it's human and it has it you know it, it's it's. Um, absorbable in a way that I think a lot of books about, because it, you know, it does try to do as much hardcore science as it can too, talking about geoengineering and carbon sequestering and, uh, you know, how much, how much, uh, whale poop can you actually, you know, hope will save the planet (laughs) if we could just grow more whales. Um, that, you know, that, that it does, uh, it does attempt to draw people in through 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 relationships and humor and those little stories. Um, there was, I did get a review last yesterday though, that was like, well, in terms of writing, I give it a five, but in terms of content, I give it a three and a half because we can't all solve everything with with plastic straws and Priuses. And I think it's really interesting because I think they just maybe missed that one thing. And this is, I think, something that you, you know, and in this conversation we talked a lot about, is it's not the plastic straws are going to save it's that we have to, by thinking about plastic straws and Priuses, we are being mindful. And I think your word about mindfulness is, it gives me the most kind of hope. So I, I hope that gets uh, through from the book, too. Awesome. Great. Well, where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find the book? Uh, you can get the book at Brightside Bookshop in Flagstaff, Arizona. And you can get it on uh, Amazon, of course. And um, the Ohio State University Press's website as well. And I'm going to be at Pals in January, so um, the book will be available there. Um, I'm going to do a couple more book tours, one in Napa at the Book Mine and one at Book Soup in Los Angeles. So I'll be around if you want a signed copy. And I think we're actually doing a signing on December 7th at Uptown Pub house at 5 30 if you're in Flagstaff and want to come meet me and Annette McGivney uh who wrote Pure Land a beautiful book as well so oh how fun okay awesome I will make sure to have everything down in the show notes below and have a link to Amazon for those listeners who are not in Flagstaff and would like to find it online that would be great well thank you so much for hanging out today and meeting and I'm just so glad that we were able to get together and have this conversation me too it was such a privilege and so much fun to talk with you I hope we continue the conversation I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Nicole. I will go ahead and have her website linked down below as well as the Amazon link where you could purchase Sustainability, A Love Story. At the end of every episode of Eco Chic lately, we've been answering questions that either get in the DMs or an email. And if you're interested in asking a question to be answered on a future episode of Eco Chic, you can DM me at Laura E. Diaz. 
at EcoChicPodcast, both of which are always down below, or you can email me, laura at lauraediaz.com. And this week's question is actually about composting and stickers. So I have been advertising some eco-chic stickers that have um, been getting sent out to so many people, and I'm really excited that people are so excited about putting eco-chic stickers on their computers and water bottles, and it's really exciting to see all of y'all receiving them and tagging me in your stories. But today's question actually comes from a friend who was asking about the waste aspect of the stickers. So all the stickers go out in these little pink envelopes that I did want to make sure they were recycled paper and just as eco-friendly as possible when it comes to envelopes. But paper is totally compostable. It's an organic material and it's actually really good for your compost to break up the um, bacteria in between all of your food waste. So if you are to rip off just the stamp, the upper right hand corner of the envelope, you can compost the envelope and you can also compost the note that it comes in. I just write all my notes on cardstock. So that's also a really basic thing that you can throw in your compost. But yeah, you can compost any organic materials. So in addition to food waste and paper, you can also think about yard waste going in your compost, things of the sort. So I hope that's helpful. If you're acquiring any trash on my behalf, there's a really great way to dispose of it in a really eco-chic way. With that, I would like to thank everyone for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Eco Chic, please go ahead and leave us a like and a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you have a really good week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.